Good morning. Welcome to Maricopa Springs. That was a pretty awesome video. I hope that you guys had the opportunity to just share in this morning that God provided for us this morning. I thought about it as I stepped out onto my patio just feeling the morning air. I think it was pretty cool this morning. I don't, it depends on your degree of cool, but I felt that it was pretty cool. So I think God provides us with an amazing, beautiful world that we live in, and I hope that you guys had the opportunity to share in that with somebody that you love or just maybe in that moment with God. Um, of course, that was broken up, and Grady came up here talking about the, the bake sale, so take advantage of that. There's some beauty over there as well. And then he mentioned those cinnamon rolls that he was talking about. And then, you know, the first thought I had in my mind, did Leanne get any of those? I didn't think so. I didn't want to speculate on it, but I, I, I wasn't sure. So um, it is a beautiful Sunday morning. And guys, I am really excited to be up here uh, sharing God's word with you. Uh, I, I mentioned this before. I think it was about a month ago or so that I was up here. Um, I, I'm really blessed to be up here. I, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to do that. It's, it's really a humbling experience. And I hope that today you'll be blessed, that you'll be edified by God's word. Um, today we're going to be in Luke 22. You can go ahead and turn there if you'd like. We're going to be in Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. Before we uh, get going on that, though, what I'd like you to know, two things first, is that if you do not have a Bible, if you're new here, or whatever the case may be, if you do not have a Bible, we have some on that back table back there, feel free to go ahead and grab one. Or if you just need to borrow one for the day, that's fine as well. And then as well, one of the other things, like before, as I go through and I traverse this message for you today, I have a few scriptures um, maybe a few more than a few. Um, but they'll pop up on the screen behind me, hopefully. Um, feel free to use that in any way that it helps you. If, if it helps you to write them down or read it from there, great. If it's not a help at all, then just keep moving and doing what you're doing, flipping through pages or whatever the case may be. Let me read the passage that we're in today. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Let me pray for us before we continue. Father, we just... We thank you for the word that you have provided for us this morning. We thank you for this beautiful morning that you have provided for us. We praise you for it. I ask that you just, that you are glorified in this message today. That it is you that we see in it. There is just amazing encouragement inside this message. It lies in the midst of it. It is lifting for us. I ask that you encourage the hearts that are here in this room not only the ones that are here, but they can carry it out and spread your message and spread your seed, Father. That seed of hope, that seed of faith to others. Father, let us just, let us just know and understand and dig deep into your word. Let this time that we have be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as I said, this is, this is an incredibly encouraging passage. It's really short. It's like four verses which is incredible because there's so much packed into it. Um, so I'm hoping that we can get through most of it. So I want you guys to think about something. This is an incredibly difficult um, world that we live in. 
correct? We have many, many struggles. The world that we live in, we're tri there's trials and tribulations that we go through. It's a tough world, and we know this because, well, quite simply, we live in it, okay? We run in it almost every day of our lives. But we should also know this because Scripture tells us this. When we look back to Genesis, we see it right there. We see it in Genesis 3. It tells us straight up that this life, there will be pain because of the fall, because of what had happened. There will be pain in childbirth. There will be pain in the toil that we do for that eating. There will be pain there. There will be difficulty. It's not going to be easy. But at every turn and in every time of trial, God is there. His word is there. He lifts us up. He is present with us. This message that we have today, that is our message. It is God's word that lies in the midst of the passage that we're in today. And it's an encouraging one. Where I have failed and where I will fail again, Jesus has overcome. Romans 8. We start in verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor power nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have been secured in our faith. There is nothing that is out there, nor will there ever be anything out there that can overtake us because of what lies in us. You see? Even before we have stepped foot onto a battlefield, we have already won by the power, by, or sorry, through the power of Jesus Christ that lies within us. He is our Lord. He is our intercessor. And we have already won through him. And how encouraging is that? It lifts us up and strengthens us, and it raises our confidence, not in ourselves, but in Him. And as we walk through this world and the trials and the tribulations that we go to, this is what we look to. Now, in the passage that we're in today, we have the disciples and we have Peter, and this week that they're going through, Passover week, I want to look at that. Can you imagine how encouraged and how lifted up that they are? As I read and studied through this scripture and looked through this section of scripture, I see that their spiritual high and the confidence levels that these men were having day by day just seemed to rise. From the beginning of the Passover week to the moment where we are right now, day by day. Look at the triumphal entry at the beginning. Jesus comes in. They're laying the, the branches and the cloaks and people are praising. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And the disciples are there. That's Jesus. We're his disciples. We follow Jesus. They're experiencing that whole moment. Their confidence level. Everything is rising for them. And throughout that week, Jesus is confronted and he is challenged. You'll remember the moment where he's challenged by the Pharisee and the Pharisee comes to him and says, is it lawful to pay taxes? They're trying to get him to either go against the, the people, the Jews, or against Rome. And he answers them. Well, whose face, whose image is on the coin? Well, Caesar's. Well, pay unto Caesar's what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And in this incredible moment, they simply just walk away silent. These Pharisees, who were the highest of the high in Jerusalem, walk away. And the disciples are part of that moment. Their confidence level rises. And then we have the Passover 
meal where in Jerusalem, I imagine a very packed place, they have a separate or a, a room, a second room private with Jesus, their Messiah. They get to celebrate this Passover meal with Jesus in this upper room privately. I mean, how cool would that be? Not only that, but Jesus sits there and says to them, I earnestly desire to share this moment with you. Peter and the disciples are on this spiritual high. The confidence levels are way up there. They're ready to take on the world, but they really don't know what lies out there for them, what lurks in the thicket. And my friends, i got to be honest with you, I don't know that we are any different. I'm pretty sure that we're not. So by the time we reach the end of verse 30, what Trevor taught on last week, where Jesus tells his disciples that they have part of the kingdom, not just the kingdom to come, but the one to hear, right? The here and the not yet, that they will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes. They have reached the spiritual high, this confidence level that, quite honestly, is far, far too high. It's too high at this point. Everything around them, the confidence level, has drawn everything away from where it should be. Their attention, their gaze has moved elsewhere. It's no longer where it should be, which is on Jesus. They're focusing in on what's around them, everything that's happening, and on themselves. They didn't get it. You'll remember that Trevor taught, well, when he taught last week, he mentioned that through his teachings. They just didn't seem to get it. Which brings us to the start of verse 33, where we're at right now. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Now, one thing to know before we go too much further here, it's more of a technical thing. That word you in there is plural. In the Greek, it's actually plural. I'm not like Grady. I'm not a Greek scholar. I have no idea. I read commentary. I looked it up. It's plural. So he's not just talking about Peter here, okay? I know it says Simon, Simon, but he's not just referring to them. He's talking about all of the disciples. So it's important to kind of know that as we progress through. Okay, so he's demanded to have them. Now, i got to be honest with you, man. This should be a gut check to Peter and the disciples. But they didn't get it again. Just like what we learned about last week, it's like they missed it again. They're looking in the wrong direction. They're relying in the wrong thing. And again, I'll mention, I don't know that we're always that different. Jesus, knowing what is to come... Knowing the difficulties, the struggles, and the trials to come, what's about to come he, uh, for his followers, he gives a warning to them. Beware, something lurks out there in the thicket, and it wants to have you. It desires to have you, it seeks you, and it demanded to have you. There are three main characters that we have in this passage that we're looking at this morning. There's Satan, there's Peter, and there's Jesus. And what I'd like to do is kind of go through them, see how they interact inside this passage and what that means for this time, but then also what the application is. What are the implications for us now? How that affects us. Implications. Now before I continue, it's important to understand Satan and what he is and what he is not. Okay? 
What do we believe about Satan? In 1995, I believe that was about right, there was a movie that came out. Maybe some of you might know it. It's called The Usual Suspects. And in this movie, one particular character is trying to explain something about another character who's a really dark, dark character. And there's this quote in it. And I want to share that quote with you. It says, The greatest trick that the devil ever played on the world was convincing the world that he did not exist. The person, activity, and power of Satan are not thought of enough by the Christian. As I was preparing for my message, one of the studies I ran into had a statistic that was shown out. It said about 70% of Christians do not believe that Satan is real. Now, before you start going, well, that's nonsense. What they meant to say was that 70% of Christians believe that Satan is a representation of of evil, or that he is a representation of darkness. And I believe this to be a very dangerous thought. I also don't believe that there's necessarily a biblical foundation for it as well. I want you to think about it for a minute. If it's just a representation, if he's just a representation of darkness and evil, and one of the greatest tricks that he played was convincing people that he wasn't real, you'll remember back in Eden, Did God really say you shouldn't? How many steps and how many things does he have to go through before he's or something's convinced us that God is just a representation of good or Jesus is just a representation of good and light? You see how dangerous that can be? There's no biblical backing for that kind of thought. There is biblical backing for the fact that he is and has a person Revelation 12, starting verse 17, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let me summarize it. There's a battle that happens. Michael and his angels go against Satan and his angels, and Satan loses. And it says, and the great dragon was thrown down, and the ancient serpent, who is called devil, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to earth, and the angels were thrown down with him. Not a representation. And then this is a good one, Matthew 4 where Jesus is drawn into the wilderness to be tempted. He's one of the interactions that he has. It says, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written that you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus said to him. Jesus wasn't being tempted in the wilderness by a representation of evil or darkness. Satan has power in this world He blinds the unbeliever from the light of the gospel. He is called the God of this age, the prince of the air. He is a tempter. He is the deceiver. He is a liar. And he is real. But know this, Satan is not all-powerful. He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. Okay? Do not take the pendulum from this side and swing it to the other side. Let's bring it into the middle. And make no mistake, though, he does have a goal. There is something that he is trying to do, and we see that in verse 31. It is to get his hands on Peter and the disciples. He wants to battle them. He wants them to go through great difficulty and tribulation. He wants to sift them. Satan wants them because in the sifting of them, he believes that he'll prove that their faith is false, that it's fake, that it's just dirt and chaff that it's not worthy. 
And he has reason to kind of think this. If you look at the beginning of verse, or chapter 22, if we go back just a little bit, you'll remember Judas. He was taken over by Satan. There was an open door for him to go. He was covenantless. There were things that Judas wanted, and he took them. He left that door open, and Satan took advantage of it. He was sifted, and he fell. Judas trusted in something else other than the Lord, other than the Messiah, other than Jesus. Peter is now at that point. He is placed in the hands of Satan. Peter is on this incredible high, and he is now going to be placed in this. I mean, he's way up here. He's thinking about all of these things that he has in front of him, and he's thinking he's going to take on everything. There's nothing that's going to be able to stop him. Maybe you can relate to that a little bit. I know that I can. I remember the first time I left home, my first attempt. I don't know how many attempts you had. I had a few. Okay? The very first attempt. You know, your parents, your dad, whatever the case may be, he helps you out. My dad started when I was 16. Son, it's a tough world out there. You might want to get ready. Yeah, I got it. And then when I'm 17, same kind of deal. Son, I'm telling you, there's something out there. Think about it. It's dangerous out there. Yeah, yeah, Dad, I got it. And then when I'm 18, this warning gets a little bit stiffer. Son, I'm telling you right now, there's something that out there. It's dangerous. It's lurking out there, and it wants you. It wants to do you harm. You need to beware, son. Look. Yeah, yeah, Dad, I got it. Because I'm looking at everything that led up to the moment I'm at right now. I'm looking at all the stuff that's around me and everything I've got going for me. And I put that stuff into the future. I'm like, oh, yeah, look at me put this here, put this here. I'm going to conquer this world. It's not a problem. I'll be back, take care of business, and I'll be back. Jesus is telling Peter there is something out there, and he is completely unaware of it, just like we are. Beware, there is a lion in the thicket, and man, he is hungry. But Peter is not hearing it. He doesn't get it. His thoughts and his sights are blinded by his confidence and his pride. Satan has demanded to have you so that he may put your faith to the test, Peter. And this will not be easy. It will not be like stepping out onto the water. This will not be like the storm on the sea. I heard those warnings that my parents gave me. You probably heard those warnings that they gave you. And Peter heard this one, but he didn't get it. He didn't understand because his focus is on things of the world and himself and not on Jesus. My friends, I think we need to be careful here. Don't make the mistake of thinking that it's painfully obvious. I can read this passage and go, well, yeah, I just need to keep focus here. Because it's very often that we don't get it as well that we miss it. We get to verse 33 when we're talking about Peter. His response, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. The statement that Peter makes here is not one of a man that knows what is about to happen or what is lurking out there. He doesn't understand the warning. It's one that, I'm sorry, the warning that has been given to him. No, this is a, this is a prideful boast. Because he didn't get it. I imagine if he did get it, if he did understand, his words would have had a more of a tone of humility instead of one of boasting and pride. Maybe it would have sounded something like this. Jesus, 
What should I do? Jesus, help me. Don't let him have me. Jesus, please help me. I need you. I cannot do this without you. But instead, you hear this great, bold, and confident reply. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Peter is on a spiritual high, and his confidence could not get higher. And in just a few hours from now, he will go from lopping the ear off a soldier to cringing and cowering to the accusations of a servant girl that is only speaking the truth about him, that he followed Jesus, that he was one of his followers. Peter will deny that he knows Jesus, his Lord. He will run from a servant girl. He will fall or fail, and he will fall on his face. It reminds me of Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. The door is open for Satan. Peter will be sifted. The process of sifting will begin. Sifting is an agricultural term, okay, so that we can understand that. I think it's got probably three parts. I'm not an agricultural guy. Let me try and do my best. There's a sifter. It's basically a wooden, large wooden frame, and it has sharp, jagged wire that crisscross, forming a mesh, fine mesh. A couple guys hold it. The wheat, in this case, is harvested and is thrown onto the thrashing floor, and then a couple men grab it and they put it in to the sifter. And then it's violently shooken back and forth. Violently. So that what's in there can be moved around and thrashed up against the sharp, jagged wiring. What falls out is the dirt and the chaff, what's unwanted, what's not needed. And what finally remains is refined seed. It's what they're hoping. So in this case, what falls out is dirt and chaff, something that's unworthy, something that does not have faith, like we look at Judas, or something that's refined, pure seed of faith. And this is that sifting process. This is what Peter is now in. And there's only two things that can happen, as I mentioned, when you go into the sieve and you're in the hands of Satan here. You can fall through like the dirt and chaff, or you can remain and become the refined, pure seed of faith. There was a friend of mine recently that shared this, this story of somebody that attends his church. It was a man who had an affair, and his wife confronted him, and he refused to stop. He didn't repent. His friends confronted him. He refused to stop, and he did not repent. I'm going to give you the short version. Then the elders of the church confronted him. He refused to stop. He did not repent. They did church discipline, and he was expelled from the church, not only from the church, but he was expelled from his home. His wife asked him to leave. He was thrown into this sieve, and he was shaken violently. He kept reading Scripture, and he had this girlfriend. He rented an apartment, but he wasn't happy. Everything just didn't seem to work out. It seemed like he was miserable. Nothing was working. Every time he would read Scripture, he couldn't find joy in it. Instead, what he found was conviction. Constantly, there kept being pressure added, constantly, more and more, day by day by day by day. And then one night, he's laying on the floor, and he feels the weight of an elephant crushing in on him, pushing down in on his chest. 
point to where he can't breathe. He's thinking about Psalm 51. David's psalm where he's repenting of his affair. This man is being convicted. And he rises and he asks and he repents. He asks for forgiveness. He goes to his wife. He repents. Seeks forgiveness. He goes to the church and he asks and he seeks repentance. This crushing weight of what happened inside of this sieve. He was tested and he came out of it. And in just a few hours, Peter will be lying on the ground, weeping. He will be crushed. He'll be lost. Think about what happens from this moment on. Jesus is arrested. He is scourged. And he is walked up to Calvary, holding the tool that's going to crucify him, that's going to kill him. And Peter sees all of this. That whole thing that he had his confidence in is just gone. He's being tested. He's being thrown in the sieve just like this man. Satan has beaten and battered him inside of this sieve. But he will be restored just like that man was restored. Many years later, Peter writes these words. It's like 30 years later. We see it in 1 Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to the eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, strengthen, and establish you. That's the beauty of this thing. Inside the power of Christ, that's where we find our strength. All of that stuff that Peter thought he had strength in, there wasn't any strength in. But where he found his strength was in Christ himself. He's restored. Through this tribulation, through the sifting, Peter's gaze moves away from all of this stuff, all of his confidence and all of the things that he thought would happen, and it moves straight over to Jesus. But how does that happen? I mean, how is that even possible? If it's not Peter, then what is it? We look to verse 32. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And when you have turned. Think about that. Not if. And when. Because you're going to. Because it's already been decided. Satan asked to test him, and Jesus allowed it only because when it was over, he would still be one of his. He would be stronger. His faith would be refined and stronger. Peter would become the rock. And Peter would turn and strengthen others with his own words. He wrote these words 30 years down the road, but I've got to imagine that he used them before. 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's almost the same verse. It's almost the same thing. He sits there and explains, seeking someone to devour. This thing is coming after it. It is demanding to have us. Your adversary, the devil, wants you, and he is vigorously coming after you. But he says, be sober-minded. Don't rely on the things that are around you. Do not rely on what your confidence is. Do not rely on the things of this world. Rely on me. Rely 
on Christ. Rely on Jesus. And it sits there and says, be watchful. Now, this is something I can be challenged on because as I was going through this over the last couple of days, that kept striking me over and over again. Be watchful. Does he just mean be watchful of our adversary? Or does he also mean be watchful of him? Keep our gaze on him. Do not be distracted. Do not move from that sight. Peter's pride would decrease and his humility would increase. His faith in self would decrease and his faith in Jesus alone would increase. When we look at John 3, it says, he must increase and I must decrease. Peter knows that to get through any of this, our faith has to be in Christ and Christ alone. He is the one that is elevated and we are the ones that are trusting in him. He holds us. Everything that we have is cradled in him. Second Corinthians tells us that we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We are attacked, and we will go through trials and tribulations. And remember, it's a tough world. And it's difficult, and it's broken. But we will not be destroyed. We will not fall through because Jesus intercedes on our behalf. He is praying for us. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when? I have prayed for you. And when you turn, strengthen your brother. What an encouraging word. I mean... Satan may have us in his sieve, but what becomes of us is not up to him. We belong to God through Christ Jesus who gave his life on the cross for us. In his righteousness we stand before the Father, brothers, sons, heirs. Jesus prays for Peter and the disciples and Jesus prays for us. We look at Hebrews 7. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Saves to the uttermost. There is nothing that can get in the way of this. If we look back to the Romans passage that I mentioned right at the beginning, we are more than conquerors. There is nothing. There is nothing too high. There is nothing too deep. There is no ruler out there. There is nothing that can get in the way. He is making intercession for us. And John 10, I give them eternal life, and they will not perish. And no one one will snatch them from out of my hand. My Father who gives them to me is greater than all. And I know this. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. He's making intercession for us. There is no question that the prayer will be answered. It is answered for Peter. It will be answered for us, for those who are in Christ. This is a a security, an assurance. I'll remind you of that story, that man that was unfaithful. He repented. He asked for forgiveness. He went to his wife. He went to the church. He went to God first. He was in that sieve. That prayer was answered. Jesus was praying for him. 
He interceded on his behalf. That whole church was praying for him. He has that elephant on his chest, and Jesus comes in and just pushes it right off and then lifts him up. I imagine much like when Peter stepped off into the water and started to sink. Jesus just reaches down and picks him up. When we return to the path, we lift others up. Jesus says in verse 32 as well, when you have turned again, strengthen your brother. Think about this story about that man. One of the things I hadn't told you yet is that he went to his wife and then he went to the elders. But they did this whole thing in front of the church. He presented everything that had happened in front of the church, in front of the entire congregation. Just like if we were standing up here right now. What he had done and how the whole process happened. Could you imagine if you were a husband or a wife going through something? How encouraged would you be at that moment? knowing that other people are going through the same thing and that Jesus is there to help us because they help them. How encouraged could you be? This man went through that sieve and he did exactly what he was supposed to. Peter went through that sieve and he did the same thing. And he did it because of the power of the Christ that is in him. Peter thought that he had lost everything. This man had thought that he had lost everything. And how many times have we ourselves thought that we have lost everything? But they and we are one of his. He is our shepherd and we are his sheep. And we, he will not lose, not a one. Not one of his hundred. He will go the distance to just get the one. Satan may demand to have us, but is only allowed because it serves God's purpose to strengthen his people, to grow his kingdom, and to show his glory. And we see that play out in a similar story inside Scripture. We see Job, where Satan comes to God and he asks to test Job. You notice he asks, because if he could have him, he would just take him. He wouldn't ask. So he has to ask. And God says, yeah, but don't touch him. So he even limits him there. He says, you can have everything around him, the hedging, because Satan is saying that because of everything he has around him, that's the only reason why he has, he has faith. So Satan destroys everything. And Job keeps his faith. God wasn't up there thinking, going, man, I hope this works. He already knew the outcome. And then we get to the next day. Job comes back. And he challenges it again. He says, yeah, but I'm pretty sure if we do something more, he will lose his faith. And he says, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will lo- he'll give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh, and he'll curse you to his face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. And he keeps his faith. His faith stays strong. Again, God not up there going like, I wonder if this is going to work. He knows what's going to happen. Job's faith strengthened, and he is restored in the sovereign, and the sovereign glory of God is displayed. 
Just like in today's passage, Peter is tested. His faith is strengthened. He is restored. And through Christ Jesus, the, so- through Christ Jesus, the sovereign glory of God is revealed. I mean, it's absolutely incredible what happens here. When we have been tossed into the sieve, when we have stepped off the path into the thicket, when we have stepped onto the battlefield, before we have, before we have done any of that, Jesus intercedes. Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And through Christ Jesus, we become the pure seed of faith. We find the path again. The elephant is flicked off our chest and we become more than conquerors in Jesus. Let me kind of wrap this up with this kind of thought. This is the message Jesus has overcome. It is not what we have around us, but what we have in us. What I want you, but what I want you to think about in those moments, when you are battling, when you're in the thicket, when you're in this sieve, what do you rely on? When you're in the midst of this battle, what are we relying on? Are we relying on all of these things around us? The comforts that we have, our own confidence, those things that we have placed into our future? our own armor, or are we relying relying on God's armor? Everybody knows this passage, Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The belt of truth, truth of Scripture, The breastplate of righteousness that covers and protects our hearts. The shoes of the gospel. The shoes that carry the gospel into the battle. The shield of faith that pushes back any advancement of of the enemy and any weapon he chooses to shoot at us. The helmet of salvation that protects the knowledge of our salvation and shields our thoughts from the deceptions of Satan. The sword of the Spirit, our weapon against the untruths of the enemy, the Word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And these are our weapons. And we are covered by the power of Jesus' prayer, the one who sits at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf for us. It's not within our strength nor our power. It is within His prayer that we walk, that we get back up, that we were embattled into this sieve and we're beaten and we're thrown around and we can't move any further. We don't think that we can get up because the weight is absolutely crushing us. He sits there and reaches down and pulls us up with just a simple prayer. And John 17, it says, I am praying for them because they are His. Do we hold our gaze on the shepherd when the lion is in the thicket? Is that where our faith and our trust is in? Do we have faith that he is there in the center of us all, praying that we do not lose our faith? Do we not only understand that Jesus, what Jesus has taught, but do we believe it? Do you believe that even when you do not see him, he is there? That even though it seems like you can do nothing right, even when you feel like dirt and chaff, 
and that it seems like all is lost, that there is no hope. Do you believe and know that you are the pure seed of faith and that there is an amazing hope out there for you because he stands at the right hand of God praying for you? You are not dirt and chaff. You are the pure seed of faith. He will see to that. He prays for us. We have strength in him. And when we think about John 16, you don't have to look at the whole thing. It's the message. We will fall. We will fail. But we need to be encouraged because he says, I have overcome. He has overcome the world. He has prayed for us. Our faith, our strength is in him and not in us or what is around us, but in us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son that you have sent. That he has prayed for us. That he holds us. That he lifts us up when we just cannot stand. When we are in this battle, when we are in this sieve, sometimes we just can't hardly move. We can't hardly stand. We just can't feel but we know that your son prays for us he lifts us up he encourages us he prays he sits there at your right hand and we just thank you for that father we thank you so much for your son christ he has overcome this world our strength is in him father thank you thank you for all that you have done all that you have moved in jesus name we pray amen